Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Allsport Magazine, Allsport.com, I'm Kevin Turner, and this is the Allsport Podcast. Two years since we've been able to talk about uh, the Goodwood Revival, but I'm pleased to say that the, week, that the time has come uh, for one of the highlights of the historic racing season. And joining me is someone who I believe has been at every Goodwood Revival um, and has reported on it for Allsport in all that time since the first one back in 1998. Um, so welcome, Marcus Pye. Good, absolutely. Um, looking forward to it very much. I've been to everyone, been to all the early festivals of speed as well, missed a couple in recent years, but uh, yeah, very much into it. Um, and also in previous years, the members meetings, but uh, uh, a different look to me for me this year because um, I'm not commentating at it. No PA commentary as such, as I understand it, but um, just a, a streaming service. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll be down on the ground, not up in the air. Well, we'll come to that a bit later because that might give you the opportunity to go around and see see some of the action from trackside that you don't normally get the chance to because you're up in the box. True, so, true enough. True um, but we'll, we'll do a bit of a lap guide, I think, a bit later on. But I appreciate that for a lot of listeners, um, it can be a bit confusing as to which races might be on at the Revival in any given year. So I thought I would just, before we get into the highlights and sort of the likely you know, top drives and cars, I'd just run through quickly the races that you can expect if you're heading to Goodwood this weekend. The first is the Sterling Moss Trophy, which is for early 60s GT cars. The second uh, race kicking off on, on Saturday will be the Festival of Britain, which will be for Grand Prix and Voiturette cars in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, Barry Sheen Memorial Trophy, a couple of those races for 1960s uh, Grand Prix motorcycles. The John Whitmore Trophy, which is for pre-66 Mini Coopers. Now, my uh, one make, I'm not usually a fan of one make racing, but I think that one probably will be a pretty uh, uh, amazing race, which we'll get back to later. The Glover Trophy for one half litre, uh, F1 cars from 1961 to 65, which is uh, has become one of my one of my favourites actually. Uh, St Mary's Trophy for 1950s touring cars, Whitson Trophy for the sports races up to 1966. They're the really quick, uh, big bangers. The Sussex Trophy for 1950s sports cars, Chichester Cup, which uh, front engine Formula Juniors this time, uh, which I think are a bit more attractive. But we'll perhaps have that debate a little bit uh, a little bit later. Uh, the Richmond Trophy for Grand Prix cars up to 1960, Brooklyn's Trophy for uh, sports cars in the 1920s and 1930s. The big one in many people's eyes, the RAC TT celebration, which has traditionally had the all the big names in historic racing and some from contemporary racing. And that's for pre '66 uh, GT cars. It's a one hour enduro. Uh, the and the Freddie March Memorial Trophy, which is for the early 50s sports cars uh, that raced at Goodwood nine hours, 
uh, in the first half of that decade. So lots to keep you happy, whether you're into single seaters, tin tops or sports cars. So, Marcus, what, what are the highlights that you're what things are you most looking forward to uh, seeing this weekend? I think the whole the whole uh, spectacle is quite something. Um, if you've not been before, it's very different to any other historic race event you go to. Um, the paddock is um, is always buzzing. Uh, and I'm interested to see this time whether because there's a uh, there are fewer spectators going to be there uh, because of the COVID uh, protocols, etc. Whether the whole thing kind of feels as busy, or whether it feels a little bit more. Uh, informal, if you like, uh, to be able to uh, get round and actually have a, a good look at things without sort of, um, you know, the, the right crowd and no crowding, as they used to say. Well, it, it might be quite nice, actually, in a way, because um, you know, so I've been going since the first one and a little bit like the Silverstone Classic, they've both become so enormous, they're almost a bit overwhelming. Uh, my, my old man, uh, John Turner, he prefers going to club the smaller club meetings now for that very reason. And I quite enjoy the members meeting because that doesn't tend to be, yeah, you've still got great cars, great racing, great drivers, but it tends to, you can, you can get around more easily. So perhaps it'll be a, in that respect, um, it, it might be good for the spectators that, that are there. Although of course it's a shame they can't have a, you know, a full house if you like. Um, but one thing I did want to mention, Marcus, is it true that there's a, I've heard there might be a new bridge over the, the track at, on the run to Madwick? I've heard so. Um, I've I've actually not been over to Goodwood in the run up to the event, so I haven't seen the the build up, which actually takes place over a number of weeks normally. But yes, I was interested anyone to see what's uh, what's going to be there. To be honest, yeah, um, no, it, should... it has been a bit of a clog point. There's sort of a log jam, the the tunnel um, under the circuit um in in recent times as the events got more popular a footbridge if it indeed is a footbridge yeah an interesting um change of uh, a backdrop really to the um, to the whole races it might it might be a bit off-putting for the drivers who've been there year after year those who are there for the first time will not know any difference of course yeah, absolutely. And I think it's quite nice that the circuit is developing a little bit because, as I think you've pointed out previously, Marcus, it's now uh, been active as a historic venue longer than it was <laughs> as a contemporary one, which seems pretty remarkable. It says a lot for what uh, uh, Lord March and his team have, have managed to achieve there. Um, yeah, very, very much so. I mean, Lord, Lord March, as he was, the, the Duke and Rich, Richmond Gordon, as he is, um, has taken it uh, onto success you know, new levels you know, most years. Um, but 48 to 1948 to 66 was the original uh, era. So 98, exactly half a um, half a century later to the day when it was reopened, through till 2016 would have been the middle of 2016 would have been the, the same length as the original era, the the the, the first heyday as I call it. Um, and so we've had a few extra bonus years on top of that. And uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful place. It's a great track. I mean, the purists, those who went there um, in the day, say, yes, it's it's much, much nicer than it ever was back then. It was a newly demobbed RAF airfield, West Hamlet. But um, uh, at the end of the day, um, customer demands being what they are um, and the show being what it is and the level of detail employed around the campus makes it very special. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be... Um, It'll be quite good um, to see what it looks like on Friday when I get there. And, of course, it really means something to the drivers and the car owners to win uh, at, at Goodwood. It's one of those um, sort of big sort of blue ribbon events now to the point where I know several historic preparers, and I'm sure you'll say, Mark, that have said, you know, Goodwood is almost single-handedly push the development of of historic racing cars forward, which we've talked about before. It sounds a bit of an oxymoron, really, but these these cars – they really are quick, aren't they now? Quicker than they were back in the day and quicker than they were even when the revival started in 98. They're a lot quicker now than they were, and that's for various reasons. The circuit is a better surface than it ever was. Secondly, the tyres uh, on the cars are better than they were or stickier than they were, if we can say that. Thirdly, the teams which prepare the cars um, have a greater understanding of the suspension dynamics of building dampers and and kind of geometries to, to suit what they've got. And, of course, in the day, the works teams were, were, were brilliant uh, engineers, but they were, they were out there in the field uh, working on a car that had to be competitive that year. Then they'd move on to the next one. The people who are now preparing them, the real top teams who 
I mean, for some, they're running on pretty much money, no object budgets for their uh, car owners. Um, work really hard to bring a car on year after year after year. And consequently, in most of the categories we're going to see showcased, they do lap rather quicker, Some, in some cases dramatically so, uh, than they did um, in that 1948 to 66 period. I mean, the, the cars in the RAC uh, TT celebration are going several seconds a lap quicker. Um, and if you look back to sort of 19... At 98 in the first revival and look at sort of the lap times at the front um, and they better get on the grid now um, so um, you know quite a, quite a, an astonishing thing it, not to everybody's taste but at the end of the day um, the spectacle is is what they go for at Goodwood so it's, it's unconventional historic racing um, because it there's there's a huge show which is which is broadcast worldwide and um, it's become the phenomenal success as a brand that it has due to the detail and the you know the way the cars look and the way the cars perform and everything else that goes around it it really is a um, it's a very very special occasion yeah and while i have my own reservations as i'm sure you do marks about some of the developments that we've seen with the lap times one thing you you can say about it is it certainly answers those people that aren't familiar with the historic oh yeah it's just driving around in old cars rather slowly no, none of the cars will be certainly the ones at the front of any of these races will be driven slowly we've got a uh we'll have got a lineup of professional contemporary drivers recently retired drivers and some really top historic uh, aces as well so the cars will be driven properly they will be driven you know flat chat sideways and all the rest of it so it really in that sense goodwood is it remains a fantastic uh, spectacle uh, and i guess the biggest name joining for for this uh, this year marcus is is probably jensen button who you'd have seen uh coming through formula ford and formula three before obviously going on to become f1 world champion and you know international superstar etc so what do you reckon that he'll he'll make of, well, first of all, what's he driving? And secondly, what do you reckon he'll make of it? He's in a couple of cars, isn't he? I mean, um, he's in a, a quickie-type Jag, which would be interested to see. But my um, interest in watching Jensen Button race goes back a really long way, further than you might think, because I saw him compete in the um, Golf TVS Karting Super Prix at Clay Pigeon uh, down in Dorset um, when he was I don't know, about eight or something like that. Um, he was certainly uh, you know, a very, very quick young lad then. I said to a friend of mine who's really into his karting, that kid will be world champion one day. And the day after um, he became world champion, <laughs> uh, the same guy rang me up and he said, you were right. He said, I hope you had some money on it. And um, stupidly, I didn't. Um, uh. but, uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's the... Um, it's the old uh, Raducanu thing, isn't it? Um, have we all thought about putting money um, on the up-and-coming uh, uh, person, sports person? Um, we'd have all been in the money. You were but, indeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my first memory really of seeing Jensen uh, really sort of close up. Obviously, watched him in Formula Ford, but it was on that um, um, on the McLaren Old Sport BRDC um, test evaluation, uh, the top six evaluation at Silverstone. Uh, when he was put into um, David Leslie's uh, BTCC car. Um, he'd not driven a car with that power. Um, he'd not driven uh, a front-wheel drive car. Uh, he'd certainly not driven 300 horsepower uh, in heavy rain conditions, sort of puddle jumping all the way around. Um, and um, he absolutely nailed it. He blew them all away. And, of course, we've seen in his career subsequently that in mixed conditions – there's probably nobody finer. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very fair shout. He has a, in a disproportionate number of his uh, his Grand Prix wins were in wet or changeable conditions. Um, but I think it's always interesting to see how the how the contemporary or recently contemporary pros get on uh, at Goodwood and historic racing. Uh, for the most part, of course, they are fantastic, and some are a bit more fantastic than others. Yeah, I mean, Jensen's, um, Jensen's very used to competing at, at Goodwood as such, in that he's been a, a big part of the Festival of Speed. Um, pretty much since the beginning of it. He's always been uh, one to to go out to his public and to um, to engage with the, the spirit of the occasion, really. Um, you know, he doesn't have anything to prove, uh, but he'll go there and he'll enjoy himself and he'll do a, you know, a really good job in the car. And um, I think he'll add to the sense of occasion uh, very greatly. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's, um, I, I imagine the combination with um, with his mate Alex Buncombe in the uh, Jaguar Titan Sterling Moss Trophy, uh, that should be a pretty competitive lineup. And he's in a Cobra in the RAC TT, isn't he? And it's always difficult to know because the Cobras vary quite a lot on this their competitiveness and, or- and originality. So um, not, that might be more difficult to pick where he's going to slot in there. But yeah, as you yeah. say, just just great to have him have him there. And I'm sure he um, he's always a good ambassador for the sport, isn't he, Jensen? So and of course he's still been active. He's been he's raced in British GT, Super GT champion. He's done a bit of extreme. So it's not like he's got too much rustiness to to knock off. So I'm sure he'll be. Uh, I'm sure it will be there or thereabouts. And as, as we used to see in the, the, the days when um, the late Sterling Moss and John Surtees were there uh, at Goodwood, uh, there was nothing like the big occasion to bring out the race driver and and, and show off all their, their consummate brilliance. I mean, Sterling in a Maserati 250F, um, John Surtees in a Ferrari 250 GTO were absolutely sublime. And they were you know decades past their pomp. Uh, but just that intrinsic ability, the way they made the cars move and react, uh, was a class above anybody else, uh, I venture, even on the day then. I mean, they were that that good. Well, class uh, class always comes through, doesn't it? Even when, uh, even when they're getting a bit later on in life, um, you can still see it. But They haven't, uh, they haven't forgotten how to ride bicycles, have they? That uh, indeed. <laughs> and, you know, they, they were back totally in their comfort zones. Whereas a lot of the guys who are racing currently, guys and girls who are racing currently, um, they're jumping into something different. It's something they don't own. It's something they um, probably at pains to uh, try to be kind to. Um, and it's it's alien to them. So they've got to kind of feel their way gently. And, of course, there's 30 other people on the track at the same time. Um, some of them are thinking, do you know, um, I could make a bit of a reputation here, but let's hope it's a reputation in the right way. Well, indeed, yes. Now, I remember, um, I remember, I think it was Gerhard Berger who um, came to the role a few times. I think it was very quick in a, in a Lara Etup one year, but he said uh, after jumping out of the Ford Galaxy, I think in practice or might even have been testing, saying something along the lines of, well, I've driven cars that don't stop and I've driven cars that don't steer, but I don't think I've ever driven a car that didn't stop or steer, <laughs> which was rather, I thought rather good. Gail's always quite good with a, with a quote. But um, he, had a, he had a fairly sizable prang in, a, in, in the, um, the Bryant Cobra, didn't he, at uh, Woodcut one year? Ah, yes. Well, ah, well, that's cool. Goodwood can bite, can't it? There's not a huge amount of runoff, so um, you can get nice and close to the cars as a spectator compared to, say, someone like you know Silverstone, which obviously has got to keep up with you know, sort of modern F1 safety standards. So that's exactly. another. As I've always cautioned about Goodwood, where I've you know, done many laps over the years, that um, it is a place that deserves uh, and demands up the ultimate respect. It's an Old, uh, it is very, very possible to have an old-style accident in an old-style car at an old-style circuit. Um, and the fact that the runoffs aren't big just focuses the attention. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's motorsport as it was, uh, not motorsport when you're, when you're viewing from the next county. Mm, mm, indeed. Myriad of fences. Well, t- talking of, uh, we were talking of some of the sort of past masters, if you like, but we've got a, a, a large number of them. I'd mentioned at the start about single mate racing not really being, it's not really my favourite or yours, is it, Marcus, single mate racing? However, there are some events that um, are perhaps a bit more appealing than others. And obviously, we've got a, a Mini Cooper race, which I think at the last count had 10 Le Mans winners on the grid, uh, totaling 22 victories in the 24 hours, which is truly remarkable. Uh, and of course, Martin Brundle uh, will be part of the, the the mini fest. So, is that is that something that you're looking forward to? Yeah, very much so. I've always, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not mad on on um, single mate racing. Certainly, when it comes to uh, single seaters, uh, etc. But uh, with saloon cars, I mean, some of the greatest races I've ever seen have been one mate races, and uh, mini racing stands out. Um, even going back to the days. Uh, when I was watching at Thruxton in the 1970s, one of the best races I ever saw was a four-car Mini Media race, four cars going for the victory, uh, with um, Ian Briggs and Steve Harris in one team uh, and the Kernow brothers, um, uh, Mike Mike and Alan, in the other. And um, they switched places all the time, every lap. It was just wonderful. And, And we had a fantastic Mini race here a couple of years ago at Goodwood, 
Um, this one is going to be even tougher because the depth of field has got uh, has got greater, and um, the Cooper S spec cars, twelve ninety three S cars, are very quick. Um, the top exponents don't tend to trouble the brakes very often uh, on a lap of good, but two point four miles, they probably kind of break a couple of times really in a in a in a proper way. There's a little bit of balancing going on, a lot of left foot braking, a lot of hard on the throttle stuff. And um, when you watch the masters at work, you know, the, the Nick Swifts of this world who drive those cars pretty much all day, every day, they're very, very hard to um, to counter. But it won't stop a lot of the guys uh, wanting to be best of the best of the superstars, if you like, who are coming from elsewhere. It's going to be incredibly close. And if you want to see a fantastic example of slipstreaming, that's going to be the um, the one, probably probably the race of the weekend in some respects. Well, I must admit, the, I think the race, it was at the members meeting, wasn't it, in 2019, I think? 19, yeah. Um, and I was uh, standing between, sort of between Woodcut and the chicane on the inside. And it was a fantastic place to be. And obviously on the last lap, you still had six people in contention. Uh, obviously led by um, I think it was Nick Swift and Nick Padmore were among the front runners then and it was it was basically decided in the last few hundred yards some of them scrambling over the curb using a bit of grass some of them not who was going to push their luck the most it was it was a a real spectacle I saw uh, a remarkable sight out of the back in the commentary tower at St Mary's of um, of a car tripping over the curbs and actually being kept upright by by landing at about 30 degrees on the car to its right absolutely brilliant to watch you know, somebody hooked a curb and bounced and uh, because there were so many of them there sort of jostling for position they kind of stayed upright and continued to go so was, yeah continued as if nothing had happened really yes and uh, as you mentioned in the preview uh, that you've written for um, all sport magazine this week combination of nick swift and andy jordan who's been doing a bit of mini racing this season anyway yes. uh, will probably be a fairly tough combination to beat but yes um, it will and, and you know that that's uh, you know a- Andy goes back with Goodwood a long way he's been their tester for um, track tests and stuff on the uh, on the video streams etc um, he knows the track exceptionally well um, most of the competitors uh, who are based in the UK have probably been to do one or two sessions down at the circuit beforehand. Um, my brother was down a couple of weeks ago when Martin Brundle was having his first go uh, in the minis in a race, and, and he got chatting to Martin, um, who was absolutely having a ball. And he's watched his lad, Alex, uh, enjoy uh, some great historic uh, racing of late with Gary Pearson in various cars. And um, having been to the Silverstone Classic this year and done some as well, uh, he's really got the taste for it, uh, and it's a, a far cry from the sort of racing he was doing as a as a kid when they were running the his father was running the Toyota dealership in Norwich and doing some oval racing and some um, probably some autocross racing as well, um, and then of course Martin got into uh, uh, into Formula Ford two thousand. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, uh, always great, and he's he's a real enthusiast. He's a great enthusiast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be good to could see him out there jostling as well. Could be quite, uh, could be quite yeah. entertaining. Especially <laughs> um, quick those cars, and um, it, it, no matter where you stand on the circuit, uh, you'll really appreciate um, those who who ultimately get it uh, and are incredible minis. Those who are just that little bit behind with the ambition to get on the pace <laughs> and work out how we're going to do this, um, and those who perhaps are a little bit more circumspect but there won't be too much too much circumspection i shouldn't think well yes indeed um and another uh, another uh, goodwood ace i suppose that you've picked out in your preview um is andy middlehurst who um i think i'm right in saying has already won six times in the ex jim clark load 25 yeah, although another trophy indeed although funnily enough one of my best goodwood memories um i was i think it's 2018 uh, standing out halfway down the Lavent Strait, and he and, and Joe Calasaco in the Ferrari came past side by side several times. So the 1512 uh, Ferrari, which oh, is, the, um, makes fl- the most phenomenal noise, doesn't oh, it? As a combination, the flat 12, and I think the Climax V8 is actually quite yeah. a, an underrated engine sound as well. And the two of them howling past, and that oh, that was a rare occasion where um, the Ferrari actually... Uh, came out on top and he apologised to the British audience, which I thought was rather amusing. There's a lot of V8 cars um, against the Ferrari uh, this time. There's uh, probably more than before. There's um, some superb um, Climax engine cars, the uh, 
FWM VV8s. Uh, that sort of singing saw kind of noise, lots and lots of revs and uh, narrow power bands. Um, I was very fortunate to drive a racer, um, one of the Lolas, one of the uh, John Surtees, uh, Roy Salvadori type Lola uh, Mark IVs uh, back in 1999, courtesy of Duncan Dayton, um, another phenomenal enthusiast and a terrific driver. And um, that just left such an impression. Um, I, I probably couldn't hear myself for about four days after <laughs> because the, the pitch of the particularly the induction side of it is uh, is really strong and um, was a wonderful uh, uh, experience because it puts into perspective what you're watching from trackside but that's um the little flat 12 ferrari i mean the the pistons must be uh must be like thimbles i should think <laughs> tiny little things but that makes a hell of a racket. But uh, it's a good sound, and um, we like the sound of, um, of historic race cars because they sound so much better than the modern ones. Yeah, because they're un- unrestricted, aren't they? Also, modern cars are, you know, have to have various restrictions, and um, both from sound and and pollution, all that sort of thing. So you know, naturally, has had to to move on. But it is nice to hear some of the older the older engines. Uh, yeah, from back in the day. But I'm also interested in that race to see how Michael O'Brien gets on because yeah. he's obviously got some contemporary GT experience. He's also, of course, raced in historics before. Very handy peddler. And I know he doesn't perhaps have... I think he's in a, he's in the Lotus BRM, isn't he? He, he is. I mean, um, he, won, um, he won last year at Speed Week um, driving uh, one of um, Alan Bailey's cars. Um, and uh, this time he's, he's jumping into Alan's um, Lotus BRM 24. Uh, so there's a few of the cars with BRM V8s uh, in there against the Climaxes. Um, Michael is uh, a very, very talented young driver. Of course, when I was first reporting um, for Autosport back in the 1970s, I was reporting on his father uh, racing in Formula Ford and Formula Ford 2000. And, of course, Mike went on to race in Formula 3 in a British um, saloon car championship as well. Um, but, um, but, but young Michael... Um, understands vehicle dynamics very, very well, of course, because all the the younger drivers these days have been brought up with so much data. And um, it, it's interesting to see whether um, that Lotus BRM goes um, uh, can be made to go as quickly. Uh, it's a space frame chassis, the 24, not, not like the monocoque 25. Um, the BRM V8 might not be quite as crisp as the uh, Climax V8s, but uh, but who knows? Um, Alan uh, Bailey prepares it really well with um, uh, with Bob Bowden, the stepson, uh, and the team. And um, of course, Alan's uh, own uh, racing record is quite something. It goes right back to the very early '60s, and he's raced pretty much every year um, since then. So um, yeah, good good to see. And and that is going to be a very interesting one. Nick Fennell will be um, on the pace, I'm sure, with his um, his Lotus. Uh, 25 as well uh, and there's a really good mix of stuff um, young Tim De Silva's quick um, from the States um, and uh, yeah I, I think it'll be some, sometimes, in, sometimes in the past it's been a bit of one of those runaway type races you always wanted to be uh, a, a bunch of seven or eight uh, dicing for the lead and it's never quite delivered because there's usually been someone just that little bit above at the rest James King's in there as well who um He's got the wonderful uh, Dan Gurney Brabham uh, BT7, uh, which is a lad he saw when he was travelling Europe as a college boy. Um, he saw Dan Gurney win the uh, French Grand Prix in it. Um, so to own that car all these years later was fantastic. And, of course, he won a, a round of the British Formula 3 Championship at Cowboy Park in the, uh, in the late 70s, 77, I think, um, in, a, in a works march. So, um, you know, James uh, loves his trips to the States. Uh, from the states to uh, to the UK, and uh, while he's um, he, he's no spring chicken now, uh, he's still a quick driver, quick enough to get a a top six. Um, Richard Atwood will be uh, out again in his BRM, um, and Richard, who you know won races at Goodwood back in the nineteen sixties, um, he really is one of the senior citizens of of racing these days. Bought his first uh, Le Mans winner with Hans Hermann uh, all those years ago. Uh, but still loves coming out and performing and uh, it, it just wipes away the years when he gets into a racing car, whether it's the Porsche or whether it's the, the BRM or whatever. Um, it's always great to see Richard uh, do his stuff. 
And I, I, I like it when the BRM, Bram, Ferrari and Lotus are running sort of in proximity because then you can really can imagine it being Clark, Surtees, Graham Hill and Gurney going around together, which... Uh, this is this is really bizarre because it, it's given me the idea um, three or four years back when, when Crosley Car Company has been building race cars in Northern Ireland since 1957, uh, developed a, a modern single-seater for a classic racing school at, um, uh, at Clermont-Ferrand um, in France, or Sherard as the, the bit of the circuit's called they use. And um, there is the opportunity to go and do uh, track days at, uh, at Goodwood um, and schooling and, and, and be tutored, etc. I just thought that set of those Crosley, but painted up in a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a Clark team, a Brabham team, a Surtees team, and whatever, um, would be fantastic. He has sort of seven or eight of those cars. You, know, you had four t- four teams of two or whatever, and um, they're powered by sort of modern um, Ford engines that are designed to run really quietly. So there's there's no offending the neighbours and uh, a good opportunity to actually sample single seater driving at Goodwood, which is a fantastic experience, as I recall from going around there in in um, Formula Ford cars back in the sort of 70s and early 80s. Uh, it was always just a, a great privilege and a joy because at that point we had no idea that that racing would come back uh, to Goodwood. It was just a test venue for, for, for many years, hundreds of laps around there in Formula Ford. It was great. Yeah, sounds, sounds good fun. Um, and, of course, before Formula Ford, as a, as a kind of entry-level single-seater category, we had Formula Junior, uh, and this year's uh, revival pack of juniors is for the front engine brigade, uh, yeah. which I prefer because uh, I like. For, I, I'm the same with the, the the 50s into the early 60s Grand Prix cars. I always want the uh, the Scarab or the Tecmec uh, or the Ferrari Dino or the BRM to beat the Cooper. We, to, we may, we may see the Scarab win this time. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is interesting because I don't think um, I, I don't think Julian Bronson is able to drive his. Um, but um, he uh, um, he had another driver in it at Silverstone, and um, that worked uh, really really well. And I think that he could be back. Well, I, I, I lost it in the scarab at the front, and a lot of those cars I just listed were, of course, utterly hopeless in period. Well, um, no, no, I, one, no, no one really saw a scarab in a race in period. No. <laughs> when it did appear, they were yeah. No, I think the Tech Mech only did one appeared at one World Championship Grand Prix, didn't it? So um, we've we, we, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But um, Andrew Haddon drove the um, uh, drove the Scarab at uh, Silverstone, having never sat in it, um, and won the second race um, absolutely brilliantly. And uh, he's a driver with good um, historic pedigree and a very very wide range of cars from truly really to Formula One cars to Lotus Salans and things. He's won the Spa Six Hours in the past, so uh, yeah, it's. Um, an opportunity to see a scarab uh, right there uh, at the sharp end with Miles Griffiths in a Lotus 16 is going to be very difficult to topple, but but um, anything anything can happen. Anything can happen. Yeah, that's definitely one I'll look forward to. Um, but yeah, loop, looping back to the Formula Junior, that's a, a an, an area uh, I'm not going to pretend to have huge amounts of expertise in, other than I have been pleasantly surprised on a number of occasions. Uh, Formula Junior often puts on one of the best races of the day um, so so what should we be looking out for in this this year's uh, front engine division well, it's yeah it's a, it's a three crop rotation normally um and there's the early front engine cars um that then go to a, a drum brake rear engine then they go to a, a disc but the early ones have the greatest variety and there were hundreds of different manufacturers of, of um Formula Juniors more so than even than, than Formula Ford, and considering it was only a you know fifty eight to sixty three timeline, it's pretty remarkable. Yes, there were an awful lot of one offs that sort of appeared and were hopelessly uncompetitive, so were never seen again. Um, and there were some powered by really weird engines. The um, V four Lancia uh, Appia engine came into some of them, and that was not the uh, not the best. But what you do have, you've got the very early um, Lolas, which are the, uh, are the best of all those cars, I think. Um, beautiful little cars, the Lola Mark IIs. Um, Andrew Hibbard really needs no introduction around there, but um, Tim De Silva, uh, he'll be out in a similar car. Uh, and you've got a lot of other cars out there that are quick. I mean, Ray Malik, who's, who's now what, um, uh, now 70, 
He's last year's front-engine Formula Junior champion, driving one of the UT Mark IIs that his father developed in the back of the 50s into the early 60s. Um, and so he's going to be there or thereabouts. Um, you've got um, one of the local drivers, two of the local drivers, a quick um, uh, Stuart Roach uh, driving the, um, the pointy-tailed um, Alexis, which is uh, a quick guy. He does drive it really well, and he's won there before. Um, who else is there? Alex Morton with the Condor, another car that was built locally. That car was built at Warpleston near um, Guildford. Um, so really, you know, uh, uh, almost a stone's throw from um, uh, from Goodwood. So there are a lot of um, drivers out there who will give good accounts themselves. But I think you'll probably see uh, a battle between four or five of them out front. Um, I hope there's not a, a significant breakaway. Colosacco is back in a, another of the, um, I think, one of the, uh, the one of the Stangolinis. Um, and yeah, and then you'll see packs within the pack. Uh, so there should be some good dicing down the order. But the way it's seeded uh, by Duncan Abaliati, um, who's out there with the Flying Carrot, a car in which he's competed in, I believe, more than 600 um, historic races now, which is quite terrifying. Um, it's it's seeded to not represent um, the grids you saw back in the day. Otherwise, there'd be six Lamarck ones and there'd be... Um, a bunch of um, of Germanys, and there'd be a bunch of Elvers as well. Cars made in um, uh, in Sussex, of course. Um, and you might have, well, you would certainly have less of a spectacle. What you want to see is variety, um, and there'll be even even things like the the weird little German um, Mitter DKW with the three cylinder uh, two stroke engine making a, making a racket um, in the hands of Rudolf Ernst. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an opportunity to to witness a bunch of racing car marks that you probably didn't know existed unless you're a, a regular Goodwood goer. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, we could go, I think we could go on all day picking out, uh, going through grid by grid, um, the things to look out for. Um, uh, Goodwill, that's one of the sort of appeals of the event, really. But before we move on, Mark, is there any other highlights, any other races that you're particularly looking forward to or would recommend uh, people to pay attention to? Well, I'm not, I think the the thing I would say is that, that there won't be a dud among them, that's for sure. Um, and the great thing to see is you can see everything from the, the sort of the Brooklyn-type uh, cars uh, racing. You can see... Uh, the wonderful ERAs and Maseratis going head-to-head, um, plenty of GT action, some really superb um, sports racers from the days of the Goodwood nine-hour race, uh, the Freddie March uh, Memorial Trophy races, aren't they? Um, and then you've got the the later cars from the uh, World Championship Tourist Trophy era, um, including, um, I understand, uh, Wolfgang Friedrichs' Aston Martin DBR1 will be out for the first time in uh, uh, in a while in that. Uh, and, of course, Sterling Moss was the, the total maestro at Goodwood anyway, but uh, he won those back-to-back TTs, uh, securing the World Championship for Aston. Um, you know your Aston history far better than I do, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, um, the chance to see the Astons going against Jaguars and Maseratis and Ferraris, etc., rekindles that um, great intermark history which uh, sports car racing is built on yeah that's always a highlight for me the sussex trophy and um, i mean sam hancock is bound to be quick in the ferrari dino you know that's a car that's run at the front of that race in yes. various hands i think pretty much going back to the earliest days on it wasn't he yeah i remember that um, yeah. Yeah. and what, um, is, um, what is interesting of course is this year we'll doubtless be be sparing a thought for um for robert brooks and um and his family, Robert, um, who you know ran the very successful auction house, which was intrinsically linked with its sales and, and Goodwood, um, and won that race way back in the early, um, you know, I think for the first one, wasn't it, uh, in '98, um, in a Lotus 15 with the rear 
um, the rear bodywork flapping. Like, oh, I do remember that, yeah. Like an air brake. <laughs> Everyone was wondering whether he was going to get black flagged or whether he was going to get a, a kind of get out of jail free card because he was a good bloke and um, he was having a good battle with uh, Frank Sittner. And uh, no one wanted to see the battle defuse, so they kind of forgot to put the uh, they put the meatball flag out now, wouldn't they? He, they demand that he came in, but uh, uh, but Robert held on to win that one, and uh, uh, it's one that we still talk about, you know, more than twenty years later. So uh, um, that's uh, that's great. And that race, uh, the um, the Sussex Trophy made the made the cover um, thanks to a certain somebody because um, uh, Sam Hancock and one of the Lotus, I think it was Roger Wills, put on an absolutely fantastic race a couple of years ago. Perhaps we'll have a rematch of uh, well, we, we lots of quick Lotus 15s in that race, aren't yeah, there? Roger Wills is in one again this time, and it's a car with really good history because it did the um, uh, it did the TT. Uh, Goodwood back in the 1950s, late 50s, when it was owned by or entered by um, John Coombs um, and raced by Roger Wills's compatriots, um, Bruce McLaren and um, Sid Jensen. Two, two other cars on the entry list in that race, actually, which um, won't feature at the front, but are worth a look. There's a Maserati 450S, which I always thought was one of the first real real monsters in sports car racing. Really thuggish, aren't they? I mean, yeah, absolutely. In power boats as well. Yeah, I think um, I, I like. I know it won't be. Um, it won't be up at the front, but um, it, it, I always think they're re- they're really cool. And really, and Jack it could, win the maroon, could win the maroon class, couldn't it? <laughs> yes, quite. Um, and the other one is the Jaguar E2A, which, if you're not into sort of D-type, E-type history, um, is kind of the missing link, really. And um, I suppose that's a bit of a cliche, a bit of a lazy way of describing it. But um, I mean, it, it essentially is. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's a crossover in the same way that the. Um, 64-shaped Ferrari GTO kind of led into the um, to the 250 LMs and 275 LMs. Um, so, yes, it's an interesting car, and uh, I haven't seen it out for quite some while. And very like, uh, very like the '64 GTO. It wasn't. It's not as attractive as the D type that went before it, or the E type that came after it. But it's still a uh, a nice, uh, interesting uh, bit of yeah. motorsport history there. And but also and, seeing the TT that um, that that one off um, space frame uh, Lister Coupe, which has had a great record of success in historics. It, it looks kind of a bit out of place among the. Um, uh, among the Cobras and E-Types and Aston Martins and Chevrolet Corvettes, etc. But it's a car that raced at Le Mans uh, in the 1960s with um, uh, Lumsden and Sargent, wasn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, a, again, a, a great car to to see out there. It's driven brilliantly. I mean, Piro's driven it uh, for a number of years, Manuel Piro, a great uh, Le Mans hero. And uh, he's a guy who is just a, a must to uh, to go and speak to in the paddock if you can because he's just so effusive and so bubbly and so absolutely besotted with um, historic racing that it's just a joy to chat to him or or, or Jochen Mass um, people like that who have been there at the uh, at the top end of racing for donkey's years have achieved all they were going to achieve and more um, and come back way after they'd finished their kind of professional you know, contemporary racing careers uh, just for the hell of it. And and I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Piero is one of the most enthusiastic guys around, isn't he? He's brilliant. Um, but I think maybe, you know, we've, we've picked out some highlights, but let's perhaps give a bit of a, a track guide as well. So Marcus, you've done lots of laps around there. I, I've been, a, I've been, a, had a passenger ride there, but I'm not going to even begin to pretend that I would know how to put a lap together around Goodwood. So perhaps if you, you talk us around uh, a, a lap, uh, of, of Goodwood because it's actually quite a deceptively fast uh, track, isn't it? And, it is. Uh, it's, it's incredibly fast. And, and just as with Thruxton, where um, the British Automobile Racing Club, who, who ran all the meetings in period, um, transferred to in 68 after the closure in, in mid-66 of Goodwood, um, there's a there's obviously a real knack to it. Um, and uh, you know, you'll see um, many cars maxed out going around there. But being an air, uh, airfield perimeter circuit, uh, it has some features uh, which, to the kind of the layman's eye, if you like, are quite difficult to pick out because you've just got this relatively narrow ribbon of, uh, of tarmac going around. But unlike some airfields, um, it undulates. Um, there's lots of camber change on the road. There's lots of um, there's lots of great turns. There's some very interesting and very technical bits of the track. 
But like any circuit of this nature, the, the key to quick laps is getting the, the maximum speed out of the corners before the quickest bits uh, of the track. Now, in this case, at Goodwood, of course, you've got coming out of the chicane onto the long straight towards Lavent, past the pits. You've got the exit from Lavent that builds all the way round to the um, corner, which we're not allowed to refer to as no name, but everyone calls it no name. I think it should be uh, renamed Moss, or it will be uh, in the years to come, as that's where Sterling had his accident in uh, uh, in 62. Um, and then, of course, you've got to get out of the double apex right at Lavent very quickly, uh, to um, to get onto that lap and straight bring it out to Woodcote. But in a little bit more detail, uh, as you come past the pits, um, you can see the track kind of slightly rises as it goes through the right-hander, double apex right-hander uh, at Magwick Corner. Uh, you've got to approach towards the left-hand side, but not take the first apex, the second apex, which has a deceptive little hump uh, before it. Uh, you've got to ride through that on the correct line. If you turn in early, you run out of road and you'll end up on the grass and end up in the bank and that'll be curtains. But uh, if you can get that one right, you then look down um, into a, a tricky situation because in the afternoon, if the sun is shining, let's hope it is, you end up going into the sun down there as well. And um, you see the next um, little kink um, and that's, um, what's that called? Uh, Ford water. Ford water, isn't it? Um, and at that kink, you think, nailed this absolutely fine and then the edge of the road just falls away to the left and you pick up a couple of hundred revs or uh, two or three hundred revs maybe um and you've got to organize the car balance it for the arguably the trickiest bit of the circuit which is the st mary's uh, approach the two-parter the right hand entry to it I think it's pretty imperative if you're on your own, you're gunning for a quali lap or something like that, that you turn in really late and use no road there because the left-handed kind of centre bit, the nub of uh, St Mary's, again, is off camber. You go over a kind of a almost like a little precipice and the, and the road falls away uh, to the right-hand side. If you can get some speed through that and then rock it up the little incline uh, into the blind approach to... Um, uh, to Lavent, then you're, you're doing pretty well. Run wide into the early part of um, uh, of St Mary's, you're definitely going to scrub off speed. You're also going to risk in a, a busy race, particularly among those minis, etc., being on the grass. And again, that's going to end up in an impact somewhere. Um, but if you can get out onto the um, onto the Lavent straight, you've changed down for the, the double apex right uh, for the approach there, you build speed the whole way through. The cars are sliding around, and remember, they're on treaded tyres. They're not on you know, ultra-sticky uh, uh, slicks, etc. So they do move around. And you can see with the in-cars, always it's fascinating to see just how much um, work the drivers are doing just to kind of maximise that feel, get that grip, get the, um, the real potential to rock it out onto the Lavent Strait, which, of course, has a kink in it. Um, so why it was ever called the Lavent Strait, I don't know, but so you've got that, that left-hand kink, the devilish one, where, sadly, Bruce McLaren lost his life in 1970. Uh, and you then aim down towards the Super Shell building uh, at Woodcote. And that's really odd because the the track is it's a bit like coming up the hill at Thruxton into the chicane, a similar sort of part of a similar type of track. Um, the, it's an optical illusion, but the track appears to narrow. And if you can just dive down through the centre part of that bit where, it, where the, on the right-hand side the grass wants to come out to meet you, if you can dive down the centre of it, you've got the double apex right uh, at Woodcote. Again, it's the second apex you want. Uh, and again, that gives you just that last little bit of impetus to come up to the uh, the chicane. But while you can take too much speed into the chicane and, and, and either potentially clonk it or, or completely sacrifice your exit speed or even maybe go straight through, as some have done in previous times when three or four have arrived in a, in a, in a little group, it's so important to be neat through there and then back on the power just as soon as you can, maybe use that bit of curb on the right-hand side to, to kind of hold you in if you're in a, in a, a good battle. But um, it is a, a, an absolutely sensational circuit. Um, 2.4 miles. Um, the I mean, if you go around there in one 
25. That's about 100 miles an hour average, putting it into perspective. Um, and we know that things like the Lola T70s and the likes of, with the likes of Nick Padmore up uh, in the past um, have lapped in, you know, well under the 120. Um, I've been around there in a the Chevron uh, B19 on, on slicks and done 15s, which is absolutely extraordinary. But of course, that's not the type of era of car that raced at Goodwood. That's the type of car that um, was there in the test capacity. But when you see the big sports cars, um, now I think they're pretty much kind of, they'd be doing 120, something like that, if the, if it's good. I think that there's very much the awareness drummed into the drivers that go much quicker than 120 and kind of that starts to get tricky, particularly as the cars are they're pretty vicious. They are not ultimately that well matched as cars. There's the quick bunch, there's the intermediate bunch and the slower bunch, the cars that don't come out that often or cars and drivers combo. And um, at the end of the day, it's a show. Um, it's, it's, it's not, you're not sort of trying to win the last seat with a Le Mans team for next year. And um, it's absolutely brilliant. And those cars will pull, I don't know, 165, 170 miles an hour, probably the quickest ones down towards Woodcut. As we said, um, it doesn't take prisoners. I must admit, I, I love the cars. Don't get me wrong. I think they're fantastic. T70 Spiders and GG40s. Yeah. Um, but I do sometimes question the wisdom of that race still being on the revival bill. It feels like they're sort of asking for trouble. I know at least one driver has said that a GT40 is absolutely the quickest thing they ever want to drive around there. And anything more yeah. than that is uh, yeah. is pushing it. So I always have a sigh of relief at the end of that race. I know what you uh, mean. So they've not Absolutely. had a big crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's great to see the GT40s. They are absolutely timeless. You, you know, and GT40s and T70 Spiders raced there. I mean, Roy Salvadori did a lot of the development work of GT40 at Goodwood uh, back in the day. And uh, then there were there were no facilities, <laughs> you know, lots of concrete walls and bits and pieces. And, uh, yeah, always uh, always very good to see. But, um, yeah, that Whitson Trophy race is, uh, yes, it can be hairy. Um, and often there's a sort of a, an early safety car, isn't there, because sort of there's been people trying to thread three into one into the chicane and that's not going to work in a car that size uh, or that potential. So a nice, clean uh, Whitson Trophy would be uh, a real big bonus. And we can see the cars at their best because they are just beautiful to behold as in fact, the whole the whole majority of the you know the all the grids will have something in it that you're going to enjoy, and I do beseech you if you're if you're just going there to to watch you've not been before or you've been every year it's been on go and watch from somewhere different. If you're there for more than one day, walk around the circuit, but walk um, anti-clockwise so that you can always see the cars coming towards you. Uh, from a different vantage point, or obviously you turn away and still going away. Um, and I think it's it's fascinating to stand at any racetrack you're not familiar with and just pick up the perspective of how quick the cars are. And they'll always be quicker, I think, going away from you. They always look to be quicker. I remember standing at Turn 1 at Daytona um, at the 500, one of the sort of quality days, and um, just deliberately not looking at the cars coming down off the sort of trioval and the speed past you is is awesome and it's the same if you stand at one or two places at goodwood certainly uh, you really get the impression that these are these are drivers who are um, they're certainly living yeah I, I absolutely agree i totally recommend going around the going around the circuit um and and actually a good very much like the driving challenge there isn't really a bad bit there's there not there aren't yeah, many places where you start going mm, yeah um, I mean, my personal favourite, and I think it's probably my best place to watch motor racing in the whole country, is the um, is a, is effectively on the on the outside of the, the you know the right hand kink of St Mary's. Yes, because it's also you can see the cars obviously coming through forward or from down towards you, and then see them tackle St Mary's, which is very tricky, as you say, off camber. The cars always falling away, they're coming around that uh, kind of long right handed arc, and they're falling away. And there's often three or four cars dicing, they're lapping somebody, and it all gets quite dramatic. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's a brilliant thing to 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 see, and it is a a, a wonderful place to watch. Probably one of the places I think it was the place I chose last year in a in a feature is 
the best place to watch in the country. Excellent. We're in agreement. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those places where if you want to really know who's who's on it that weekend and who who's really mastered the art, you can you can see, and especially if you're there for a whole session, a whole race or a whole qualifying session, you can see the real top guys. They get they get half the turn done before they arrive because they've got the car, they've got the angle of the car already set up by the time they clip the clip that little curb on the on the right hand side. So like you said, Marcus, on your guide around the lap, they've already done half the work so they can get across to the right to then tip it into the left. And the guys that are doing it consistently, uh, you know, inch perfect every lap, it really is something to uh, something to behold. I remember watching uh, Peter Harbin there and he had two different approaches. In the DBR one it was all neat and tidy and clipping the apex and lovely. And in the L M B Ferrari, he hurled the thing across the grass. I'm sure that there was there was a groove that he uh, he cut into the grass on the inside there as he tried to make sure that it didn't drift too far out to the left. So absolutely mm. one of the places mm. I always try to go amazing. to. Yeah, when somebody gets adventurous there um, and there is only really one alternative, that's to try to go around the outside, then you do have that situation where you're going to get bottled up uh, through the um, through the left-handed bit, which falls away. Uh, at which point it becomes very difficult to turn the car that's on the outside, on the left-hand side, going through the left-handers. So that the outsiders, they've um, swept through the, the approach corner. Um, there's always going to be drama. And um, the number of cars that end up sort of spinning there because they're trying to defeat the laws of physics. Suddenly, suddenly they think they forget that, you know, they're on narrow tyres, they're on treaded tyres or whatever, uh, and it's not going to go around, but it doesn't stop them trying, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, it sucks you in, doesn't it? I remember being there when Juan Barazzi had the 250LM that I think finished second at Le Mans in 1965, uh, and uh, standing with my old man, and he came through one lap and he was quite deep, and the second lap he was even deeper. And we are like, hmm. I don't think he needs to come in here any quicker. Third lap, he uh, he went in too hot and did both ends, and yes. it was a very crumpled, uh, very crumpled LM, which is a very sad sight afterwards. So it's a, it, it, yeah, they're often are oh, especially on the first lap, you know, St Mary's Trophy, all those touring cars hurtling in there, all with different abilities, yeah, uh, different yes. handling and power abilities, and um, the drivers have to find a way to negotiate each other as well as the corner. It's um, it is an entertaining there. place to be. The minis through there are incredible because um, they they certainly um, they don't lift going through the approach right hander. Um, at which point um, anything could happen. It's like a sort of, it's like a game of, um, it's like a game of billiards, really. Because one of them taps another, and then taps another. It all gets really out of hand. But they can get retrieved. They're, they're retrieved from some amazing angles. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of lack of imagination to go with the skill. But uh, <laughs> we've said before, when did imagination get in the way of speed? I mean. <laughs> I, I must admit, if you were to have a throttle trace uh, of one of the top mini drivers around Goodwood, I suspect that the percentage time on full throttle would be incredibly high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, I mean, they'd, they'd kind of, you know, you'd go to somewhere like Thruxton, um, and in, in the mini, you'd, you'd break. Uh, in a Mini Cooper S, you'd break twice. You'd, you'd break for the um, break for the complex. You'd break for the chicane, and it's a bit similar. Um, uh, at Goodwood, I suppose you you break for the um, uh, you break for Woodcut, you break for the chicane, and um, the rest of it. Uh, if if you're on song and you're really into it, um, you just hang on in there and scrub the, any speed off that you require by throwing it a bit sideways in the old um, sort of uh, John Rhodes type day <laughs> style. Yeah, no, I'm sure there'll be. I'm sure there'll be a lot of that this weekend. Um, well, I think we've we've shared our hopefully we've shared our enthusiasm for Goodwood and the revival itself uh, in this. Um, please do take a look at All Sport magazine out every Thursday. With This this week has got Marcus's um, uh, preview to the revival. And um, if you are if you are going, then um, enjoy it. And if you're not, hopefully you can tune into the live streaming. Basically, Friday is essentially the, the practice day, although uh, there's the fantastic evening race, which used to be the Kinrara, and now is the Sterling Moss Trophy. Same cars, um, early 60s GTs, and then uh, into the full-on race action from early early Saturday all the way through to the end of Sunday. Um, so thank you very much for joining us uh, and thank you to, to Marcus Pye. I hope you uh, I hope you have a fantastic weekend and your, uh, the opportunity not to commentate will actually allow you to see more of that great circuit. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be different, but um, it'll be a, a still, still fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Marcus. We'll be back soon with another All Sport podcast.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.